pray, Lord, Jesus, that, uh, that you would put them on the candlestick. You said you would, that when you light a candle, you do not hide it under the bushel. And each one of us, Lord, are called to be the light of the world. You have lit our candles with your love. And now, Lord Jesus, you place each one of us on the candlestick to give light to all who are in our hearts. I thank you as you are doing this in that moment. We pray that you bless them with your presence each step of the way.
Judah's father come and share his testimony with us. Remember him? He's a missionary to Mongolia. And he shared his testimony. And uh, they really enjoyed their time here with us. I want to read the card he sent. It says, uh, Dear Phil and church family, thank you for giving us the opportunity to share our testimony and work of the Lord in Mongolia. We greatly appreciate your warm hospitality and labor of love for the Lord, his people, and the lost. It was a great blessing to be with you all, Mickey and Tina. So I thought it would be a good time to just take a moment and pray for them uh, in their work in Mongolia. Father, we thank you for Brother Mickey and his wife and their family and others who are laboring together. They're in, in Mongolia. Father, the work that you have called them to is the work you have called each one of us to. And that's to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, with other people. And with those who already are born of your spirit, to encourage each other and to build each other up with your living word. So I pray, Father, you would do that again through them today, wherever they are that you would bless them and strengthen them for the work you have called them to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. And um, I'm going to actually take a copy of this myself too. I am going to do a bit of a summary on this chapter because we've been walking through it. But as we... uh, do the summary and walk through it, you're going to find probably that the Holy Spirit will redirect my steps, my words a bit, and our focus differently perhaps than what I have laid out here for you. I want to encourage you with the reason that this happens as the Lord shared it with me. The preparations of the heart are with man, but... The Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16, verse 1. The preparation is for me. I'm sharing it with you. But the Lord shared the secret with me some many years ago when I first began preaching uh, regularly. I was bothered by something. I was bothered that I would spend hours in prayer and in the Word. And I was, my heart was set on fire and with a good theme. I was taken up with it. And then when I would stand up and preach it, it came out differently than what I had prepared. And that bothered me. And I wrestled with God about that and said, Lord, did I go wrong when I was speaking? Or did I not hear you properly when I was preparing? And the Lord gave me that word. The preparation is for you, Phil. The delivering of the word to my people is for me to direct not you. And so, if the emphasis is different than the notes, that's why. Once you and I come to grips with this in our life, and we become, we surrender to it, and we're okay with it, our life will be drained of anxiety. It's true. Have you ever seen a lot of water in a place, maybe a, buzz, a basement that got flooded or something, and all of a sudden someone opens the drain, and all the water funnels down through the drain, and it's gone. Well, that's 
what this truth will do for you and I with anxiety. Otherwise, the drain becomes plugged and anxiety builds up. We become frustrated and more anxious and more frustrated as the day goes on, as the week goes on, as months and years go on because things are not happening my way. The way God told me they would. The way God showed me my quiet time. And, and I heard His voice and He promised this to me. But it's not happening that way. Ugh, what's going on? And we struggle and wrestle with God. And we get anxious. And it, that ang- pressure builds up. And people around us begin to feel that atmosphere. It's charged with anxiety and frustration Oh, Solomon lived this to a perfect example. He tells us so. In Ecclesiastes, he says, I had everything my heart desired or even could desire on earth. There was nothing else I wanted anymore. Everything I had ever wanted, a Lamborghini, a big house, whatever you want, he got Can you imagine a life like that? Whatever you ever wished for, God gave to you. Well, if you, for even a moment, think that would be the greatest thing that ever happened to you in your life, you are totally deceived. You are completely wrong. You are believing a lie. Just read Solomon's testimony. He says, when that happened to me, it was the gift of God. God had given him that. But when that happened to me, he says, my life was filled with anxiety and frustration. And my spirit was vexed. And it was all worthless to me. I was very, very unhappy. Found no joy in it. But we don't believe that, do we? That's why we set our life on a course of pursuing my way, my things, my goals. And when the Lord brings this truth, Proverbs 16, into your life as an experience, and He frustrates your way, He causes things to go differently than you planned. He loves you. That's why He's doing it. He loves me. That's why. Because he doesn't want you and me to become a Solomon. He doesn't want to even if you want to. God loves us enough that he doesn't want us to end up like that. Or live like he lived. He wants us to live like a different man called Jesus. And I want you sometime... If you want a very interesting and sobering study of the Word, study the life of Solomon and then study the life of Jesus and compare the two. Write down the differences of their life. The different choices they made, the different things they said, the different attitudes they had, the different actions they did, the different pursuits of their whole life is the greatest contrast in the world you've ever seen. You've never seen two men so drastically different at the end of their life. You'll be amazed and sobered. God's way is perfect. Do you believe that? The first verse, second, second Samuel 22, verse 31. Psalm 18, verse 30. They're both what David wrote, an account of what he wrote after God delivered him from the hand of Saul and his enemies. But I want to remind you, how did God deliver David out of the hand of Saul? Do you remember the story? He sent him to the Philistine king to live with him. He was abandoned from Israel. Away from his family and his people. 
living with his enemies. That's right. Living with his arch enemies. The ones who Israel's young maidens sang about one day when David comes home from battle with Saul. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands of Philistines. And God delivered him from the hand of Saul by sending him to a Philistine king. Is God's way perfect? That's when David wrote these words. God's way is perfect, blameless. As for God, His way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. Proverbs 16, verse 25. If you want a good exposition from God describing man's way versus his way, read Proverbs 16. It begins with 16.1, contrasting, you plan your ways, but I will direct your steps. And if you don't let me do that, a warning, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end is death. Wait, what did you say, God? There's a way that I believe with all my heart as I look around me, as I think about it, as I listen to others, it seems right. It feels right. Everything seems right to do this, to take this way in my life. I think it seemed that way to Solomon. I think it seemed right to him. But the end is the way of death. That's what God says. That strong warning sets in front of each one of our eyes every day. Sets as a guard, as a sentry to our thoughts every day. Sets as a standing guard. Have you, you guys ever watched, been to Washington, D.C.? And watch the changing of the guard. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. There's a soldier who guards what they call the tomb of the unknown soldier. And they change off. They have shifts. But there's always someone walking back and forth as a guard. When we were in London a couple of years ago, we went to see Buckingham Palace. Likewise. There's always guys in big hoods and guns standing guard at the gates. The guards are always there, guarding. This guard is set before you, not as a man with a weapon, but with the Holy Spirit and spiritual weapons. Like 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, we don't fight flesh and blood, no. We don't box and kick and spit we never are ever allowed as a spiritual person to resist the flesh, flesh and blood. We are called to a much higher battle than that, the inner man. We're called to wrestle against principalities and authorities in the heavenly places. And that's how we take on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, we take every thought captive and we bring it under the obedience of Jesus Christ now if you don't think that's a full time job then you're not doing it you're not doing it you think your own thoughts and what seems right you do and live and say I was sharing with the church in Norway yesterday this truth that the Lord is deeply impressing on my heart Never respond at first impressions. You'll always go wrong. Because you'll do what seems right, what you think right, what you think you hear by what you see. You'll judge by what you see and hear and think is right. And you'll almost always get it wrong. You know how you'll get it wrong? You'll say something, you'll do something with 
earthly wisdom. But if you want to live by heavenly wisdom that is from above, James chapter 3, and respond and act to other people and situations in your life with that heavenly wisdom, something must first happen that is beyond you so that you know how to respond and how to act. You must hear someone. And if you don't take a moment to hear from heaven, you'll get it fleshly every time. Like a mere man, you won't hear the Spirit. You won't listen to the Spirit. You won't be led by the Spirit. You'll do your own way. And it'll be wrong. But it'll seem right. But you'll get it wrong. From heaven's perspective, there's a, oh no, did it again. Oh no. And the Holy Spirit will come and say, repent from your own way. The end of it is death. That's what David understood. And when he went to battle, when the Lord directed his steps through Saul, persecuting him, fleeing to the Philistines, his arch enemy, camping there for safety, he said these words, as for God, his way is blameless. It's perfect. So, going to John chapter 4. As we walk through the summary of this, I'm going to walk through it, Lord willing. I'm going to walk through it with you and then come back and share the three main points that the Lord has spoken into my heart and is working out in my life in sanctification. It means to change me. The first verse chapter 4 verse 1 through 6 and I elaborated on this some time ago is that Jesus' way of living and ministering has a non-compete clause. Now, you probably have heard this. I've heard it many times as a businessman. When a person sells his business to someone, if I, for instance, were to sell Rocky Mountain Storage Barns to someone, most likely if that man was a wise businessman, he would make me sign a paper promising that I will not start up another shed business and compete against him for at least five years or sometimes more. It's called a non-compete clause. You're not going to sell me what you have and then go compete with me just down the road and start over. And as you sell your business, you expect that. You expect the other person that he's going to expect you not to compete with him. So it gives him a chance to survive and grow with the business without you yourself having all the business knowledge that you had built up. Compete with him, especially if he's a new beginner and he's just learning the ropes of the business. Jesus in his ministry had a non-compete clause or attitude towards all men. And especially you'll read about it here towards John the Baptist. When he heard people were competing their ministries, he takes off and he goes to the most unlikely place. He's going home from Judea, but he goes through the most despised and unlikely place where if the people in Israel, Judea, would have heard Jesus went to Samaria and started a church there, they would have went, of course he did. We said he's a Samaritan and has a devil. That's what they said to him. Do we not say, well, you're a Samaritan and you have a devil. You're crazy. That's where Jesus went. That's Jesus' way. When there's competition in our life, he doesn't start competing with other men. The reason he doesn't, he is so intent on one thing, hearing his father's voice and doing his father's will. And he won't let competition distract him from hearing his father's voice clearly and being set on doing his will. No one else matters. Dear brother, sister, is that your attitude in life? 
Are your choices making those choices? Because these things are set in front of us almost every day. Satan gives us the opportunity to try to distract us with other people. Maybe it's someone your wife said. Maybe it's something your husband said. Maybe it's something your uncle said or your father or your mother or your friend or someone else has said about you. I don't know about you, but I find this a potential distraction big time. I can hear the word of the Lord in the morning and enjoy a sweet time with him and step out of my quiet time and go through my day and a customer may say something about somebody to me and all of a sudden, I'm engaging this person. I think they're wrong. I think I'm right. And we're trying to sort this out. But in my mind, I know who's right. I'm just trying to figure out a way how to convince them that I am right. Oh! <gasps> Gotcha, distraction, competition of thoughts and ways and who's right and who's wrong got you distracted from hearing your father's voice and doing his will. You see how sly the devil is through this very means. The way of Jesus. You want to follow Jesus and walk in his way? Live your life the way he did. You'll walk away from it every time. You'll simply de-escalate it in your spirit. You'll walk away from the argument to listen to your father's voice. And you can expect, we can expect that every time God will do this. Because this is his way. He'll bring the most unlikely person into your life to settle it. He'll bring the most unlikely ministry, the thing which is despised, the things which the very people around you, your peers and everyone, everyone else will say, you're wasting your time. What are you doing? It'll ruin your reputation if you do it this way, if you go there, if you listen to that person. But if you trust God and you walk the way of the master, follow him in how he viewed life and acted towards him, you'll follow that same way, dear brother, sister. And it will do for you what it did for Jesus. And so we see verse 17, 7 through verse 19, Jesus finds the most unlikely person, a woman who had five husbands, and living now with someone who was not her husband. She's living in sin, clearly. She didn't confess she had five husbands. Jesus told her she had five husbands. Her sin found her out. And yet, Jesus uses this woman to start a church in Samaria. Now, that's not my way. Would it be your way? No, you probably wouldn't go to that church. You probably would question whether Jesus is really there. Just like the Judeans. They didn't believe it was from God. No, he has a devil. It's not from God that Jesus went and is talking to this woman, this sinner. And he listens to her. And he spends time with her. And then goes and stays at the village. And many are born again. Believe in Jesus through the woman. And Jesus was unashamed of that testimony. He embraced it. And God was glorified. God's way or your way? Jesus would have got caught up in the competition. Trying to take out John's ministry. He would have never went to Samaria. He would have never went home. He would have never experienced what God his father wanted him to do. He would have missed taking the gospel to Samaria. The most unlikely person. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31. And you can take this home and look up these scriptures. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not 
that he might nullify or bring to nothing. The Greek word is karagio. It means to make entirely useless. Could God use the Judeans to build his church? No. Not at this time. They rejected it. And they were useless to Jesus' kingdom. But the Samaritans he used to build a church. To believe in Jesus Christ. The things that were despised. The things that were are not. To make without effect. To destroy and make vanish away the things that are. So that no man should boast before God. That's the purpose. No man can boast. I can't. You can't. When God's way is this way in our life. When you and I begin to follow Jesus' way. Like this in our life. There's nothing we can boast about. And certainly no one else will be boasting about us. They'll be calling us crazy. Verse 20 through verse 26. Jesus speaks of true worship. Not a church here. Not a church there. They said worship God in this mountain. Jews say worship God in Jerusalem. People are still saying that all over the world. This is where you ought to worship. Go to Mecca, the Muslims say. That's where we worship. That's the ultimate worship experience. The Hindus say, go over to this place. I don't remember where it is. That's the ultimate worship experience. The Christians say, go to this church. That's the ultimate worship experience. Or go to this preacher, listen to him. That's the ultimate worship experience. We all want to go places. And Jesus said, that's not where you'll find true worship. Not in this mountain, not in Jerusalem, not in a certain church. No, God is a spirit. He dwells within your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It becomes the dwelling place of God, the heart of man. Comes the dwelling place of God. That's true worship. And also, where the only focus now is Jesus. Communicating and fellowship, undistracted with Jesus. Living this way, not just in an hour in the morning and for a nighttime prayer. No, through the day when things hit you, boom, boom. Someone hits you on the cheek. What are you going to do? Poof! Maybe not with a fist, but with words, right? Or maybe not words, at least thoughts. Or will you respond the way of Jesus? Here's the other one. He wasn't retaliating. Meant it. Here's the other one. I deserve it. I'm a sinner. I'm rotten. What you said about me, if you only knew the truth, it's far worse. Instead of defending myself, the way of Jesus, at that moment, instead of responding in the flesh, we pause and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. This is the way, walk in it. Isaiah 29. You shall hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That no man should boast before God. Jesus becomes the only man, the only person who we obey. Who we hear most clearly amid all the noise of the world. And all of the things that our flesh and our own thoughts want to tell us. We hear his voice distinctly in the crowd. And we follow it. True worship. Our life and service is based upon a relationship with Jesus, not any other place or person. And then thirdly, verse 34 through verse 38. And this principle is last in this chapter, but is not least. It's great. And it causes you and I to live in the reality of heaven as we labor on the earth. Did you get that? It causes, it allows you and I to work 
in the reality of heaven, as we labor on earth, we live in the reality of what's real in heaven. As heaven sees it, as heaven is speaking about it, as heaven says it is, as God is promoting it, we live in that reality as we work on earth. As we pray for people, as we share the word with people, as we come together to encourage each other, as we relate to other people and work for the salvation of their souls, we do so with the attitude and perspective of heaven because we're listening and then obeying. That's the only way you and I can do this. Outside of that, all communication from heaven is quieted or completely cut off because we're not listening. We're doing it our own way. We're trying to figure it out. We're going by what makes common sense, what I see, what I feel and hear other people say. We don't stand a chance to do it heaven's way unless we listen in to heaven. Then that's our only hope. And that's exactly why the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus said in John 16, the Holy Spirit I will send. He is the voice of God living in the heart of a person. And if you hear His voice, you can obey Him. You'll follow my call. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They follow my call. That's how we follow Jesus. We only have one chance. It's to hear His voice. That's the only way you get to follow him. And if you don't hear it, you're not going to follow him. You'll be confused. You'll do your own way. I'll do what I think is best. But it won't be heaven's way. It'll be an earthly way, even if it seems good and right. It'll be the wrong way. Notice this principle. You have labored into other men's labors. Verse 38, I send you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Dear brother, sister, you don't get to make your own life. It's a lie. It's a deception. You live a life that's been given to you by God through others. Number one, you came into this world, not on your own, but through other people. Through your mother and your father is how you physically came into this world. You didn't just decide out of a billion years, I'm going to exist. And now you exist. No, that evolution is false. It's a deception. It's the pride of man that stinks. Like a little kid who has a pooped pamper and doesn't want to be changed and walks around thinking it's just fine and runs away from its mom when it tries to change him. That's how we are. Isaiah 1 says, our righteousness stinks like filthy. That word means poopy rags. It's true. I got the point across. That's how our own way stinks in heaven. Just like that. Heaven is plugging its nose. Furthermore, Isaiah says that when we live our own way and think we're right and say so, the pride of man is like a smoke in the nostrils of God. Now all of us have probably sat around campfires, right? Kids, you ever sat around a campfire? Who wants to sit in the smoke? Volunteers? Anybody? No, you don't. You're just playing me. We move around for the smoke. I've seen you guys. Smoke comes at me. Ugh. We'll get up and move our chair and sit somewhere else. And the smoke comes in after a bit. Doesn't take more than two or three moves and someone's frustrated. Oh, this smoke. Ugh. Yep. You were doing it just this week. Who enjoyed the smoky air of the fires? No one did. No, you didn't, kids. You like the clean, fresh air. That's how our righteousness is to God. He's moving around all the time. How good fellowship can you have with someone in smoky 
When the smoke's blowing in your face, the person across the fire pit, how well can you talk and see him and have a really deep conversation? You can't. And neither can you and I when we are filled with our own ways and think we're right. We can't have good fellowship with God. And God doesn't have good fellowship with us. His fellowship with us is hindered, quenched, as the Bible uses the word. Quench not the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? Don't silence His voice. Don't live in such a way that His voice is distracted. Your attention is distracted away from His voice. And these three principles of the way of Jesus, when you and I begin to live His way and believe in our hearts and receive His way into my life as blameless, as perfect like David did while we live in the camp of the enemy, ostracized from our family and our loved ones. And in one place, David says, in all Israel, his name had become a byword. You know what that means? It means moms or dads, when kids were bad, and they were disciplining them, would look at them and say, what? You want to be like David? Then you better obey me. You'll become like David. People were scared. Kids were like, I don't want to be a David. Uh-uh. See, we don't see King David like that. We know the end of the story. And so looking back, we see how God used him. But at that time, they didn't know the end of his story. Dear brother, sister, God takes the way the things that are despised by most people from human's perspective is God's way. Are you willing to accept that in your life? If you are, then you embrace God's way and you'll follow Jesus with joy knowing that you have entered the kingdom of Jesus and you're becoming like the master. You're becoming like him. Your way is becoming God's way. So those three principles. Live your life with no competition with others. Focus directly on Jesus and hear his voice. And he'll lead you to the most unlikely people. Expect those situations. The most, least des- the most despised, the least esteemed places to labor the people you have absolutely no respect for, you fellowship with. You learn to love and care, even though they don't respect you. It's not an appreciated thing. Your ministry isn't. Jesus will lead you there to do his work on earth. And there's where you'll find true worship. Because all of the praise of man and the cheering... Noise will be silent. It'll be Jesus in you. You'll hear his voice. Be able to worship and fellowship with him like you've never had before. When everything else quiets down, you follow him into this way. And there you'll labor knowing others have been here before you. You won't get puffed up thinking I'm doing some great work. No. God has done this with thousands of others and is doing it even today. God's way is so with all his people. You're not someone special. You're loved by God, but you're one of his children, many children. Because you see, when we begin to do things heaven's way, we become a rare commodity on earth. There are not many people walking this way. The way is narrow, and few there are who are walking in it. Jesus said so. And so we begin to think we're someone special. Ah, I have the full gospel. I know the truth. God's pleased with me. And it's all right and true, but oh, you're on the way to destruction. When you begin to be puffed up with pride in your work, in your labors, as fruitful as it might be, unless you labor knowing others have labored before you. Like John the Baptist prepared the way of the master. So God sends others in front of us into other people's lives to prepare for that way. Sometimes we sow, sometimes we reap, both rejoice together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, He that plants and he that waters are nothing. It's God who's causing the growth. 
And so we grow up in our work, laboring with this reality. I am standing on other men's shoulders. I didn't get here through my own work or through God's special merit on my life. I'm here because other men have influenced my life and have blessed me. God has used others in the people I labor around. And the fruit of my labors is not mine. It's ours. Together with those who've labored before me. And this will keep us humble, dear brothers and sisters. It'll keep us living with the attitude of heaven in the reality of heaven's perspective while laboring on the earth. God bless you. Father, I pray that you would take our lives, my life, lives of my brothers and sisters. You would make this true in a greater way today than it ever was before. Don't let us be good hearers. Be good listeners. And then walk out forgetting Oh, Lord, we're going to fool ourselves, be deceived. But if you, Lord Jesus, guide us into all truth this way, your way, for each of our lives, with these principles in our life and growing in our lives, then, Lord, you'll become our best friend, and our way will be made blameless. There's this beautiful word later after David says, God's way is perfect. A few verses later, he says this amazing word, and you make my way perfect. When you and I acknowledge God in all our ways, then he directs our steps. God bless you.